Okay. Okay. Okay, if we uh, come back together. As uh, Helen mentioned, we're, we're taking a little break in our series. Well, well, it's a sort of half break, really, I suppose. So we've been doing a series on characters and looking at uh, words which uh, are shaping us, defining our culture. And what we're going to do on alternate weeks is we'll be continuing with that series. Uh, but for this week and two more episodes, as it were, we're going to be looking at leadership. And uh, so in two weeks' time, uh, we'll have Malcolm Case, who used to lead the Coin Church Woking, who's still based there but doesn't lead it any longer, and who's been a, a faithful friend to us as a church for many years. Uh, he'll be coming and speaking on this subject again in two weeks' time, and then in another two weeks' time, uh, I'll be speaking again on it. And you may think, well, why are we taking three whole Sunday mornings to talk about leadership? What's so important about leadership that we want to take that long looking at it? And I guess fundamentally for me, the answer lies in your paper. Now, I don't know what paper you read, and some are more sensational than others. Um, uh, occasionally we, we go shopping at Waitrose and if you have a Waitrose card this isn't a plug for Waitrose you get a free newspaper that's the only time I ever get hold of a newspaper and uh, I picked up a free newspaper this week and there on the front page and almost on every fourth page was the reason I believe we need to speak about leadership and we need to talk about leadership because the world in which we live is having a crisis around leadership. It's as simple as that. The world has a view on what leadership is, which uh, I think theologically we need to look at and say, well, is that correct? And of course, you know, there are excesses in leadership and things which go wrong. And when I looked at the paper, I found articles to do with lack of integrity, bullying, Inaction, lack of vision or direction, moral failure, lack of self-awareness. And that was just, just doing a few headlines through the first I don't know, 10 pages of the newspaper. And that was one day's newspaper talking about what's going on in our country and in the world around us. There is a massive crisis of leadership failure in our nation today and the, nation of the nations of the world. And uh, I guess you may think, well, Andrew, that seems incredibly harsh. And maybe it is. Uh, I guess what we have to look at is understand by what standards are we making that assessment? Or by what standard am I making that assessment? What do we actually believe leadership is? What's the Bible teach us about leadership and self-leadership? Because if we've got a framework, a biblical framework for what leadership is, then hopefully... Uh, we will be able to live our lives differently. And as we live our lives differently, we'll bring another expression of the kingdom of God into our workplace, into our home, into our family, into our neighborhood, into our town, into our church. And so as we get hold of a good understanding of leadership, there is a level of application, uh, I believe, in understanding what Christian leadership is all about, that should affect every aspect of our lives. So please, if you think what I'm going to be talking about today is about 
raising Christian leaders in terms of church leaders, it's not. It's far broader than that. I believe the principles which Scripture provide over leadership are actually applicable throughout every single person's life. And therefore, we need to grab hold of this if we are going to be effective in bringing God's kingdom in each of the places in which we live and work, because that is an expression of the rule of God. Now, you may say, well, I'm not a leader. But actually, we've all got aspects where we've got to lead ourselves. You may say, I'm not a leader, but actually there'll be situations and circumstances where we can all bring a lead. And so part of this series is about trying to empower each one of us, maybe even break some wrong models of what we see leadership as, to bring something of the rule and reign of God into our everyday lives and the lives of those people around us. So please, as we look at this series, uh, understand that this is to have an effect throughout our lives, in every aspect of our lives. We can apply this in every uh, setting of our lives. So we may then need to think, well, where can we find a great example? Where can we understand Christian leadership? Where do we go to to look for broad biblical principles on what leadership is? from a Christian perspective. And I would like to suggest we start at the beginning. Of course, as the song says, a very good place to start. And uh, so what we're going to do this morning is try and do just that. We're going to look at what I would like to call Trinitarian leadership. And so right at the beginning of the world in Genesis... We find the creation of the world where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in creating a world. Now, you're you're all going to turn to Genesis if you aren't careful, and that's not actually where we're going to (laughs) go. But right at the beginning, man is made in God's image. And let us make man in our image. That's the language in Genesis 1.26. The whole trinity is involved in creation. And likewise, the Trinity therefore has lots to say and demonstrate to us about what leadership looks like. And so if you're making notes, I'm I'm calling this Trinitarian leadership for this week. And uh, I think if we look at the Trinity, we can observe three particular things I would like us to look at. And then I want us to, having looked at the Trinity, particularly focus on the model of leadership Jesus brings us as the the person of the Trinity who comes to heaven where it's most demonstrated and most easy to observe those Trinitarian principles of leadership when Jesus comes to us. So we'll get three broad principles, then we're going to see how those are expressed in Jesus. And uh, there's a fair amount to cover, so I think we better pray. Father, we don't just want to uh, deal in words. We want to meet you in your word. So we ask, come Holy Spirit, would you help us to engage fully with your word such that it would shape us, such that it would mold us, that we would bring great glory and honor and praise to you. 
as we live out your word to this world around us. Help us, Lord, we ask. Come, Holy Spirit of God. Help us to concentrate, to, to meet you in your word. That your word would yield great fruit in our lives, please. Amen. Amen. So, three points about Trinitarian leadership. The first one is this. Role doesn't define status. Role doesn't define status. Linked to that, I would add that submission and obedience don't diminish worth. Obedience and submission, submission and obedience don't diminish worth. Now you may say, what on earth are you talking about? Let's try and unpack that for a moment. So when we see the Trinity, it would appear that the Father... When, when I talk Trinity, well, just to clarify, Father, Son, Holy Spirit makes the Holy Trinity God in three persons, but all one God. The Father seems to lead Team Trinity. The Father leads the Trinity. We see the Father directing Jesus. We see the Father directing the Spirit. And yet, within the Trinity, while we have um, the Son... Uh, coming to earth uh, under the Father's instruction, the Son then uh, going back to heaven and uh, saying uh, when he goes back, he will send the Spirit. So there's definitely submission. There's obedience within the Trinity. There's authority within the Trinity. We find Jesus saying, I can only do what I see the Father doing. He's following the Father's instructions. That's John 5, 19, if you want to look it up later on. Uh, uh, what we find in the Trinity, it seems, is different roles, different responsibilities, and yet they're all equally God. Now, I think the whole thing of the Holy Trinity is one of those challenging doctrines to get around in one sense, that God can be three persons and yet one God. But if we just take that on face value as Scripture reveals it to us, then what we can see here is while there's different responsibilities, different roles in the Trinity, actually their status is not changed. Their standing, their sense of worth, who they are, is equally God. They may say, well, okay, I just about get that. What difference does that make to us? Well, the same then applies for us. That actually, for the whole of mankind in Christ... We have exactly the same status. Paul writes about this a lot. <laughs> he, he talks about it. He says, hey, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile any longer. Now, regardless of your background, don't worry about your background. Don't worry about what your history looks like. Actually, we're all now one new man in Christ. We're all the same. Our status isn't about what we achieve. It's not about the position we hold or anything else. Our status is purely in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And I'd like to suggest to you that this is an essential thing to get hold of before we take any further steps in understanding Trinitarian leadership, that role doesn't define status. If you have your Bible with you, can I ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 3? And we're going to read from there in just a moment. 
Our value, we need to understand, our worth, our sense of worth, our sense of identity needs to be in one place, in Christ. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. That means you are a descendant of Abraham. And heirs according to the promise. That promise which was given to Abraham, which was then made perfect in Christ, is what we come under. What I'm saying I love, I love how Paul says this. What I'm saying, I mean, it's so conversational, isn't it? He's, he's trying to catch them up into his argument. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But, this is the important bit, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now you may say, well, hang on, that's sons. Is this a, is this a male, female thing? No, sons is a status thing before God. Okay? That means that, we're, we're, that we may receive the full rights of a chi- being a child of God. That's who we are. Because you are sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. That spirit which brings us a deep sense of security, a deep sense of the love of God. So you're no longer a slave. We're not under the law any longer. No, no, no. We've been brought into a relationship, he says, but a son. And since you're a son... God's also made you an heir, because we are. That's how we stand before God, when we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, when we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and welcomed into his family. We become adopted sons of, of God. And as sons of God, we become joint heirs of all the promises which are in Christ Jesus. That's what he means by heirs. We're part of a different family now. You may, have, you may, have an heir, you may be an heir of your parents' estate. You're going to receive something perhaps one day, or maybe you have already received something from your parents. But we're talking about something which is profoundly greater, which is majestic, and it's here and it's now for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are heirs, we're children of God. We're in the family. We've got the family ways. We've got the family inheritance. It's all there for us. This is why it's so important out of that sonship, out of that understanding of who we are in Christ, we are to live the rest of our lives. That way we avoid getting into law and legalism of, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that to keep God happy. I've got to perform in a particular way to earn approval. This is why we don't need to... um, uh, 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 this is why we celebrate the grace of God. Because grace brings freedom. This is why we can be genuinely free. Free from the pressures of the world. 
free from fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of all sorts of other stuff. This is why we can live courageous lives, because actually we've got God's approval. The most important approval in the whole world is ours in Christ Jesus. And it's constantly, it's permanently there as we are in Christ, as we enjoy the benefits of being in Christ, covered by his blood, dealing with our sin and our shame at the cross. This is how, who we are. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of God. We have a status before the throne of God now. And it's only going to get better when we get to glory. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. Do you, do you know that? Is it God inside of you? Does it affect how you live? Does it shape how you see yourself, how you think? If we are to replicate Trinitarian leadership, this is a fundamental thing we need to get resolved. We need to understand that, that role doesn't define status, that submission and obedience don't diminish worth, that actually our worth is equal for every single one of us in this room who is in Christ today. Because it's not about what we achieve, it's not about what we do, it's about have we submitted ourselves to the cross of Christ and said it's sufficient? Have we started to take steps of obedience to Christ? That is to give our lives over to him and to live for him. And have we received the reality, the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus? Loved, adopted children of God. As we grab hold of that, it brings immense liberty and freedom for then how we live out our lives. Please excuse me a moment if you get a slurping noise through the microphone. Okay. The second uh, point I think we need to draw out about Trinitarian leadership is this. The Trinity clearly have different but complementary roles. As we've already talked about, the Father sends the Son. We are, Jesus says that of himself in John 10.36. He talks about how the Father sent me. Jesus sends his Spirit, Luke 24.49. There are clearly distinct roles. The Spirit's come to live on earth with believers on earth. And it's available to all of us now post, uh, since Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. The son's main role, you could say, was, has been achieved. He's come and died for the sins of the world, albeit he, he's still pretty busy. He sits at the father's right hand. He's there. He's involved. The father has sent these, uh, the son and the spirit at various points. You see, there's different roles there. Different roles. They're complementary, different roles. The father acts as, surprise, surprise, a loving father. That's why he's called father. He's not a dictator. He's not a tyrant. He's not a control freak. He's a loving father. That's how he is described. He's a loving father. When he brings discipline, he brings it in a loving way. Why? Because God is love. A few weeks ago, we talked about that from 1 John 4 when we were looking at the whole thing of fear. God is love. He's a loving father. 
Understanding our worth and significance in God brings freedom for us to be who we are, to celebrate our gifts and to recognize our weaknesses. Out of that place of our identity in Christ, it's okay then to go, you know what, I'm not much good at that. And not to have to worry about that and think, oh, I'm a failure in that area. And it's okay to go, but actually God's given me grace to do this. God's given me a gift to do this. Without it being arrogant and without being up on ourselves in a wrong way. But recognizing that actually that's, that's how God's graced me. That's how God's gifted me. And actually if we understand who we are, then we find freedom to live out of who we are to recognize our strengths, to recognize our weaknesses, and to get on with life. Not having to constantly try and protect ourselves against our weaknesses, but to actually just say, that's fine, that's who God's made me to be. And to press on in life and all the purposes God has for us. The amazing thing, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, is that together, where you're weak, I may be strong. And where I'm weak, you may be strong. And together, we are to work as a body. And actually, as a body, we've got everything we need. Absolutely everything we need. And so, I don't have it all. Recognizing I don't have it all, but we do together, is perhaps one of the greatest applications of understanding who we are in Christ. That we're freed. We don't have to worry about having it all. We don't have to worry about uh, uh, being perfect, having all the answers. No, no, but in Christ we have. In Christ, together as a body, some of us will be a... Uh, I often use this example, so apologies if you've heard it before, you probably will have. You know, some of us may be a big toe. Well, actually, a big toe plays an essential role. It keeps you upright. It helps you to walk and run. Some of us may be a finger or an eye or an ear. We've all got different strengths, different gifts, different callings. But actually, if we all live out what God's given us, if we live out of the grace God's given us, if we understand who we are in Christ, and that role doesn't define status, no, in Christ, that's what our status is, then we find freedom to be a body together. Not worrying that some people may excel in one thing or another. That's fine. doesn't matter. What's important is the whole body is strong together. That's who we're called to be. And that is exactly what's happening in the Trinity. In the three roles of the Trinity, they're meshed together. And we find a fullness of who God is in them. The fullness of who God is. We see it in the three together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we let that understanding get hold of us, we start to understand, therefore, that team is really important. In any setting, none of, none of us have got it all. None of us have got it all. And we can celebrate that. We don't have to hide it. I think sometimes in the world, we don't like to admit that, well, I'm not much good at this. No, celebrate it. Celebrate it because actually there's other things you're great at. And let's celebrate those too. Because together we make teams.
This team ethos, theologians would call complementarianism. Don't worry about the word. If you've never heard it before, park it. Don't worry about it. But that's it. That we are complementary of one another. The Trinity complement one another. The three persons of the Trinity complement one another. And that is, again, at the heart of the imagery which Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks about the body, uh, all the different parts of the body and body ministry together. And within the Trinity, we see, therefore, distinct responsibility. We see uh, different aspects of role outworked. But we also see within the Trinity headship. The Father, as it were, leads Team Trinity. And we need to understand that actually in a complementary setting like that, you still have one who brings ultimate headship responsibility or authority. That's a biblical thing we see in the Trinity, and it's a biblical principle we see reflected in Scripture, and particularly reflected in two areas. We see it reflected in the home and the church, that there is ultimate headship responsibility talked about in Scripture, both for the home and in the church. So I've lost my place in my notes. That can be quite difficult to understand and accept, particularly if we haven't resolved our issues with the first point. If we believe that status comes out of what we do, then it comes really, really hard to accept that. Now, another key to this is also understanding what leadership looks like. That leadership is to be exercised through servanthood. That leadership isn't about control. And we'll come back to that in a moment when we look at Jesus as the perfect model of servant leadership. The third point we want to draw from the Trinity is this. is authority comes from obedience rooted in submission and resulting in a desire for accountability. Now, I've chucked four big words in that sentence. Let's just unpack that for a moment. Authority arises, comes actually out of obedience. We find authority. We don't create authority unless we're under authority. Actually, when we are in a place of obedience and submission, really submission is what drives obedience, that that sense of actually, I just want to submit myself. I want to express my trust in such a way I'm happy to submit myself. That causes obedience to rise up in our hearts. Desire then to do things right. So obedience comes out of a heart which says I'm submitted. I'm submitted. And from there we find authority. We find a great sense of authority. And, and, And what we see in the Trinity is Jesus is totally submitted to the Father. He says I can only do what the Father does. Uh, in John, uh, um, thought I had that in my notes, maybe I don't. Oh, John fourteen ten, he says, his words only come from the Father. In John seven twenty eight, he says, I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. He recognizes that actually he's under the Father's authority. Jesus is acknowledging that he's been, he's been sent by the Father. He's saying, hey, look, look, I'm under authority. Do you know, Jesus was questioned, it's reported in three of the four Gospels, Jesus is questioned, by what authority does he do these things? 
And he answers it very cunningly by asking a question. Always a good thing to do. If somebody asks you a question, ask them a question back, see what their answer is, and then you may or may not answer their question. That's how Jesus does it. But what is clear, he makes it very abundantly clear. He's, 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 he's on earth because the Father sent him. He's on earth because the Father, he, he is submitted to the Father's direction and instruction. And he goes, I can only do what the Father, if I see the Father doing. I'm not going to do anything else because he's submitted. He's totally submitted and that submission results in obedience. And that submission needs to be at our hearts Because when we have the Great Commission and Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and then he commissions us to go into the world. How does he define that mission? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, obedience is on the heart of the Father. He's looking for people who are obedient. Well, how do we become obedient people? It starts with a submitted heart. A heart which says, "I'm, I'm in surrender. I'm in surrender. I surrender myself to you, Father. So authority comes from obedience rooted in submission. And out of that comes a great desire for accountability. Where we go, actually, I just want to live for the glory of God. Jesus Jesus didn't come for his own ends. He didn't come to uh, uh, build a, a name for himself. No, he came for the glory of the Father. For the glory of God. He came that man would be restored to the Father. Mankind would be restored to the Father. He came that sin would be dealt with. It wasn't a, it wasn't a mission to promote Jesus Ministries, Inc. Or anything like that. No. No, he came with a great sense of responsibility. With a great sense of accountability. I'm doing what the Father's asked me to do. Well, how much more so then for us? How much more so for us? Authority comes as a result of obedience, rooted in a heart of submission. But we need to understand that actually out of that flows a desire for accountability, for stewardship. I want to do this right. I'm going to give an account for my life. Do you live with that? Do we live with that? A recognition that, hey, one day you're going to give an account for every aspect of your life. For what we did, for what we said, for how we lived. For what we did with our time, with our energy, with our mind, with our possessions, with our body. The whole of our lives. Given over to God or given over to me? So let's look at Jesus for a moment. We've established these three principles of Trinitarian leadership. Let's, let's look at Jesus. And what we see as the, is at the heart of leadership is servanthood. Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 42 to 45. I'll just uh, turn and read it to us. Powerfully challenging passage looking at the whole thing of leadership. What's happened in the preceding verses is that James and John have asked to sit at his right hand when he gets to glory. James and John have got a clue of what's going on. And they're in it for some status. They're in it for some position. (laughs) 
And Jesus says, in verse 38, you don't know what you're you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism baptism I'm baptized with? And James and John go, yeah, of course we can. And then a bit later we find out the other ten disciples hear about it and they're indignant. (laughs) What? You've got a mark? How can you ask for that? I mean, what's probably going on inside is we wanted to ask for that. That's reality. And then Jesus calls them together. There's a bit of a team talk. He calls them together. He says, come on, guys, get, get around. And goes, this is verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he's saying, that's the way the world works, guys. Just understand that's the way the world works. It's all about exercising authority. It's about lording and control that sort of stuff, the sort of stuff we find in the paper regularly. Not so with you. <laughs> Not so with you. Come on, guys, break out of it. Get out of it. Get out of the wrong mindset. Get out of that wrong culture thinking. Not so with you. Instead, okay, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this is kingdom leadership coming up now. Instead, this is what leadership looks like. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Not just a few, of all. For even the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if that is what Jesus, Son of God, part of the Trinity comes to do, then how much more so are we called to it? We're called to serve. That's it. We are, yeah, we're not called to lead the way, the way the world leads. We're called to do something radically different. Let's not copy the world. Let's not get in, engaged with how the world does it. Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. Verse 43. Verse 44. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. It's pretty unequivocal language. You really can't argue what he's saying here. He's making the point very, very clearly that actually the form of leadership which belongs to the kingdom isn't about status. It's not about achievement. It's not about any of those things. It's totally countercultural to the society we live in today. And it's this, it's servant leadership. It's servant leadership. You may say, well, what does servant leadership look like? Well, that could be another preaching series on another day. But let me just say this. Servant leadership loves people. It loves people. It puts people first. It recognizes diverse gifts. It equips. It releases and empowers people to be all they're called to be in Christ. And that's the sort of leadership we need to have in the church today. That's the type of leadership we as elders aspire to try and be in this church today. That is the type of leadership which husbands as head of the home are called to bring. 
Ephesians 5. If you're not convinced it's there, go and have a look in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. It's pretty unequivocal. That is, as I say, the type of leadership church leaders are to be. We're called to be under shepherds of Jesus, the great shepherd. Well, if we're under shepherds, then how much more do we need to copy the great shepherd? 1 Peter 5, 2, if you want to go and look it up later on. Christian leadership is all about servanthood. And that's not just Christian leadership in the church. That is to be the type of leaders we are to be in society today. Recognizing that we're called to serve. And as we serve people, as we lead them through servanthood, we demonstrate a completely different form of leadership. A radically different form of leadership. And we bring something of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, into whatever setting we're in. I appreciate that's quite a a lot of information. Let me just try and summarize it. Let's first of all resolve who we are. Let's get really to grips with understanding who we are in Christ. Where you find your sense of worth, your sense of security, it's as the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's as he comes and dwells in us and he affirms who we are, sons. Let's let our hearts and minds be fixed on that as that shapes us, as that defines us, as that brings freedom to us. All these other things flow out of that. Secondly, let's deal with independence. Let's get a team view that actually we're all on God's team. Let's recognize that we have diverse and different gifts and that no one gift is more important than the other, but the sum of the whole together is something beautiful and God-glorifying. Let's be happy with what God's given us, not striving for the things over there which we haven't got, but actually as we exercise all God's given us, he'll take us on a journey and give us much more. Let's grow in self-leadership. Because actually that's where this starts. Can I lead myself before I lead others? Understand what self-leadership is. It's taking responsibility for ourselves. Recognizing who we are in Christ. Recognizing we're going to have a, a, a moment in time when we get to glory, where we're going to have to give an account for our lives. So we take responsibility for our lives, self-leadership. And then let's start leading the others around us in whatever our setting is. And let's grow in authority by learning more and more what it is to submit and grow in obedience. As we grab hold of that submission, as we lay our lives before God and say, hey God, this is all about you as we take steps of obedience, he will grow us in authority, great authority through submission and obedience. And then let's learn to serve one another. Not to control, not to manipulate, not to lord it over, 
Let's learn to be servants of one another. Let's outdo one another in servanthood. I don't mean in a competitive way, I hasten to add. But let's grow in serving one another, but not just in church. Let's grow in serving one another in the workplace. Let's grow in serving one another in the home. Let's grow in serving one another at school, at college, at the school gate, or any other part of our lives. Let's lead through serving. And lead people to Jesus. The one who changes everything for us. Radical lives lived out for God will result in people coming to know him. We're going to bring things to a conclusion at this point. You may be thinking, well, what do I do with that, Andrew? Well, maybe you need to resolve some issues about who you are, your sense of self-worth. Maybe you just need to say, God, I need your help. You know, there's grace available for whatever situation each and every one of us is in today. There's grace available. The grace of God, which is abundantly available at all times in all places. None of us need to walk away from here going, I'm just a failure. But if the Spirit of God's caught something up in your spirit, where you're going, I think God may be putting his finger on this, why not recognize it and say, God, I need your grace. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to deal with that issue. I want to come more like this. Then ask him. Because God is gracious. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants to equip and empower us to live this life to the full. He's given us his spirit to do that. So let's be a people of grace now. So I'd like to invite you to stand. Don't know about you, but even as I was preparing this, my heart was going, can't do it. I felt God say, good. Good, recognize you can't do it, but you can in Christ. If it's just down to us, if it's just down to our hard work, if it's just down to our effort, you're going to run out very quickly. So I want to invite you, I'm going to, make, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment which will... Basically, we're just saying, God, please have your way in our lives. And if you want to join me in that, please do. I'll make pauses. You can repeat it. You don't need to say it out loud. You can if you want to, though. If you, want, you feel you need to nail something, then feel free to. Father, we, we look on at your grace and at your mercy, and we're blown away by it that we get to be called children of God is just incredible. And I pray, help us, help each and every one of us to live out just that, who we are in Christ. Help us to lay, away, lay aside the ways of the world when it comes to leadership. 
the teachings of the world. Help us to embrace what you teach us in your word about leadership. Help us to start with being sure of who we are. Help us, Lord, on that. Let it take complete effect over the whole of our lives that we understand what it is to be who we are in Christ. That you define us. Let it shape us, Lord. Shape me, Lord. And then what I do comes out of that. That I am responsible. I'm a good steward of my life. Out of who I am in Christ. Help us to grow in willing submission to you. And from that submission to exercise obedience. To be the people you've called us to be. To lead as servant leaders in every aspect of our lives. Recognizing we haven't got it all, Lord, but we're part of your team. And we're part of this body. And together we can change the world in you. And help us on that journey, we ask. Empower us, Holy Spirit of God, because of all that Christ did on the cross. And because we have a Father in heaven who loves and delights in us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for all that you are. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And we're going to bring things to a conclusion at this point. And uh, if, though, this morning's raised issues and you want to talk, obviously, please come and chat with myself or John or now Anthony's back, Anthony as well, as elders of the church. Uh, if you like prayer ministry, uh, something's arisen because of what's been said this morning, please come to the front. Prayer ministry team will be available to pray for people. Otherwise, uh, please feel free to go and collect your children and please, I know you will do this, but bless the children's workers as you do it and thank them. And we're going to have refreshments served out front. And we have a special treat. Thank you, Helen, for the reminder. We have donuts being served to us by the youth this morning. So please thank them as well. This is, they want to express something of their love and appreciation to us by serving us donuts today. Thank you so much. <laughs>